This is Dr. Mike Crivetti of Crivetti Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. I think this might be podcast eight or nine, but we'll check that after the podcast. But we've got a reason to have a, a podcast today, uh, other than all the crazy things we've been talking about. We've been all over the place from uh, starting the practice, why we became uh, orthopedic surgeons. Uh, we talked about the pandemic. We've talked about uh, the cool things we like to do in our off time. We had a patient in and we talked about uh, his replacement, what he experienced, which I thought was one of our best podcasts because when people are scared, with, what do they think when they're about to be wheeled into uh, a room? What do they think when they're in pre-op and the first time they see us or we're coming at them with a, a needle or an IV to put in? So I enjoyed that uh, po- podcast tremendously. But one of the things I really enjoy about the practice uh, is when something is new. When something's new and something to tell you about, it uh, kind of makes uh, the podcast more fun. And you can learn more about us. So as of a couple of weeks ago, we have a new partner here at Crivetti Orthopedics, Dr. Sandeep Pandit. Um, he comes to us from Portland, Oregon. I'm not sure if that was his fault, but somehow he ended up there. But maybe we'll cover some of that. And uh, I think after all the days of sunshine, he decided to leave and come to this. The real sunshine. But uh, Dr. Pandit, welcome to Crivetti Orthopedics. Thank you. Good to be here. Tell me, you um, of when you were in training, so you went to medical school, but we know that because you're here. Sure. Um, and then after medical school, you actually went into the military. Correct. So I had uh, uh, graduated medical school a while ago, back in 2007, ended up Um, taking a scholarship called HPSP. It was basically a deal where the U.S. Navy pays for medical school. Um, And then I end up uh, serving uh, uh, time after finishing medical school as a a physician in the Navy. So I did that for four years. Um, And uh, that was was right after 9-11. So basically 9-11 happened and I decided uh, that's that's kind of the route I wanted to go in. And uh, the recruiters were very busy at that point. I would imagine uh, they were taking names, yep. uh, right? Um, so when you, after 2007, you go to you go to school, you go off to the Navy, you were there for four years, put you 2011. During the Navy, my understanding, you told me, is you were actually on a Marine helicopter battalion. Correct, correct. So we, I was a Navy flight surgeon. Um, it's, it's, it's cool. It's not as cool as it sounds. It's not surgery on a plane. A lot of people ask that. Um, uh, basically, I was a, 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 a general specialist for a uh, for aviation personnel. So I took care of, uh, in my particular squadron, was a was a helicopter a gunship squadron. So I took care of uh, pilots who flew the the Huey and the Cobra gunship, and then I also took care of all the maintenance personnel. A majority of uh, a, a aviation squadron in the military is actually support personnel. So I was essentially uh, the primary care physician for about 350 Marines. And I was their their physician for my time with the squadron. So how so three hundred and fifty in the one battalion in the one place in the correct correct. So the squadron is is in one spot and we were stationed out of Camp Pendleton in, in Southern California, uh, just north of San Diego. Um, and then we were tabbed for a deployment. So the entire squadron, all three hundred fifty Marines, uh, we had something about twenty five aircraft. We all got uh, moved over, shipped over to Afghanistan in um, two thousand ten. And we were there uh, in the Helmand province, so southwest. And uh, the whole squadron was there supporting 
operations throughout that part of the region. And um, we were there for about seven months. Um, How does that all go down? You guys are all in one place. You're in Camp Pendleton. And all of a sudden, you're going to Afghanistan. Right. So somebody, some boss, right? Right. And, and I mean, does this happen quick? Like, yeah. we scramble, we go? Or is this something that happens over sure. days or weeks? So so this, for these particular deployments, you know, because of the size of the unit, um, it takes, we, we have what's called pre-deployment workups. So we already know when we're going to be going. And so the months leading up to that is based basically... Um, training, you know, the, the, the pilots are training for their missions. Um, and then from my standpoint, my job is to medically make sure everyone who's tabbed to go is medically okay to go. So if uh, basically if somebody has a, a, a chronic medical issue, that would not be a good, good thing for them to be in a, in, a, in a war zone for seven months, then they get moved to a different unit and somebody else can take their place that's, that can be deployed. So over time, takes several months, um, and then, um, you know, we have a, a, a part of the unit goes goes forward. They call, they call it the ADVON or Advanced Party. It's about, probably about 50 Marines, and they basically go to the base that we're going to be staying at. They take a look at everything. They report back to the commanding officer and say, this is what we have, this is what we need. And once we have all that done, then the entire the rest of the unit, which is, you know, about 300 of us, all go at one time. Um, so you all over. pack into 25 airplanes. Something like that, yeah. At one time, and can you imagine standing in the uh, next to the runway <laughs> on this and yeah. watching this happen? You know, it probably happens over yeah. a, a day's period, right? It does. Uh, actually, it just... took, took five days total to get to Afghanistan. With the We had multiple stops. We initially had, uh, we chartered an aircraft. It was a big old DC-10. Um, we, it was actually a very old aircraft. And uh, ended up, um, we I think we jumped around from California to uh, Germany. We went to Hungary, and then finally ended up in uh, one of the old Soviet republics, Kyrgyzstan, which was just north of Afghanistan. And so that's where we stayed there for about two days until we were essentially processed in, and then we made our way to Afghanistan. So it was a. a so a, you you're in a DC-10. Sure. There's probably a few other big airplanes. Yep. <laughs> and I take it there's a nice airstrip in Afghanistan? Um, not, I wouldn't say nice. Um, there's actually one paved road in all of Afghanistan. And that's the runway. Well, yeah. Well, actually, a lot of them are dirt, run- dirt runways, too. So, yeah, it was, a, it was, it was an experience, to say, to say the least. A seven-month experience. And yes. you get there, and guys like me, right? Like, I'm totally enamored by this. Like, I love the just the, the act of getting there. Then you're there. And what's the weather? Like, what's it, what time of the so, year is so, it? What's it like? Yeah, it was interesting. Because um, we I've heard there. my buddies talk about the weather was tough there. Yeah, so we, we got there in October. So we we were there through the winter. And the winter actually there is a lot like the winter in Oregon. It's uh, It rains all the time. Um, you really, you know, it doesn't really snow until you really get up in the higher elevation, but the temperatures were in the forties. So it was kind of miserable actually. And then we left, uh, in May and it actually, the weather kind of turned into what it is here in the summer. So it got up to about 115 degrees. We're in the high desert. And so pretty, 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 uh, um, extreme spectrum there for the weather. So you missed the desert, so you decided you would come to Las Vegas. <laughs> yep. If anybody actually misses the <laughs> desert anywhere. Uh, so you, you got the cold temperatures. You thought you wanted to live in Oregon, <laughs> despite the miserable thing I just heard. So then you wanted to come back to the desert. But somewhere in the middle there, after Afghanistan, you decided, I'm going to do 
joint replacement surgery. Correct. I'm going to finish orthopedics. I'm going to do my residency. I'm going to go be a total joint replacement surgeon. So where'd you do the residency? Sure. Even though I already know, but go sure. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I had already known I wanted to do orthopedics. Um, so I ended up uh, doing my residency in New York on Long Island. Um, it's a, the health system is Northwell, but the hospital I was based at is a Long Island Jewish Medical Center. Uh, so I did my five-year residency there, and then because I, I like, I guess I like to tra- move cross-country like multiple times. I uh, went from New York to uh, back to San Diego. Only uh, that was for my fellowship at UC San Diego Medical Center. Yeah, and then you in your fellowship, Correct. that's when you decided that I don't like beautiful seventy-degree <laughs> sunny weather. Uh, I prefer to be back in the forty or in the desert. So, but you did decide to become uh, a total joint surgeon, very similar sure. to myself. Um, and what turned you on about hip and knee replacement? Because I know a lot turns me on about it over twenty sure, years. But sure. what turned you on about it? I think um, the biggest thing for me is uh, the, the you know you're you're doing surgery and and surgery's risk, right? You have to we we kind of forget about it because we do so many, but surgery's risky and. Um, if you're going to put a patient through that or the patient's going to uh, trust you to, to subject them to that, you want to know that you're doing something good for them. And so, uh, you know, hip and knee replacements, I mean, hip replacements have been called the, the, the operation of the century. I mean, that's, that's how it's de- described, you know, and you think about all the good surgeries that are out there and all different specialties and hip replacement is considered pretty much the best. Um, I think the, the, the level of satisfaction that patients get out of it um, trumps any other any other specialty in terms of um, the benefit you get with the the you know with the risk of going through a surgery. I think that's that's to me that 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 beats anything. Yeah, and I think it, when you look at orthopedics, and obviously we have a choice to go into all of them, and even now today we have this I Can Again campaign, which is uh, to me really. Uh, tells you what it's like to take somebody with a bad hip or a bad knee, fix it, and then they come back and they can ski, they can bike, they can run, they can hike, they can do all these things again. Because our practice, as you know, whether it be our younger patients or older, we live in a community that's incredibly active, right? And can you imagine not being able to go for that short hike? I mean, look at this pandemic. I walked every inch of my my neighborhood. (laughs) Imagine not being able to do that. And then you and I get them. We get them for probably a good six or eight weeks, right? We fix fix their hip or knee. And all of a sudden, that three month visit is about that great story. Right, I can blank again. Right. I can go do skiing or snowboarding. Now it's an expectation in our practice. So you're coming into this practice where it's an expectation that you're going to be better than walking around. Sure. You're going to be better than just going shopping at the store. You're going to be doing something super cool. Now, you're not going to be some crazy man like our partner, Dr. Kucher, <laughs> and jump out of an airplane. But, I mean, you theoretically could. We sure. just don't want you to. Right. But uh, we'll leave we'll, that to him. not endorse it, but we, we have people... People do it, right? I mean, but one of the other things, you know, one of the other things that you do, or with hip and knee replacement, which I think is super cool, and I did it my first ten years, is solving problems. Right, Right. you're going to see people that have a painful hip or a painful knee that's already had surgery, and you're going to do this detective work, and and I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it in the beginning. I don't do so much of it anymore, sure. but you're here to pick that up and, and really help people figure out why does their hip or right. knee hurt? Does that, what, what, what do you think about 
that new job that you have. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's a great, it's, it's uh, you know, it's challenging, first of all. Those, those cases, as you know, those can be some cases that, that keep you up at night uh, once in a while. But, um, you know, the, I think it's becoming, it's needed. It's becoming more common. We're doing so many, we're doing hip replacements, knee replacements in younger patients. And um, they're more active. It's a different population. You know, they're not, it's not bulletproof. So they're going to wear out eventually. And, you know, the, the hardest thing is to have a patient come in and say, my hip was great for the last 15 years and now I can't do anything anymore. What, what can I do? I'm not ready to, to give up and, and be a couch potato for the rest of my life. Well, you're definitely right. You know, we have these, all the great new materials we have, right. uh, the new plastics, the new ceramics, the new metals, everything we have is so new and so awesome. And we, you know, we're hoping 20, 25, maybe plus years. You know, I started doing these 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. You'd think I'd be replacing all of them now and I'm just simply not yeah. with some of the old materials. Right. But let me tell you, to get to not give somebody their life at 50 years old because you're worried about something failing, right. that's an old adage now, right? Sure. So now we fix them with the understanding, hey, there's a chance in your 70s, maybe early 70s, we have to replace a part. Right. I think they most a lot of our patients have been told you can never do a, a second one. Sure. You can never have your life back a second time. Sure. And I think you would agree with me. You absolutely can do that. You absolutely can get your life back for a sure. second time. For sure. And we're having more, you know, 70 plus 80 active patients. And so, you know, in the past, I think you have somebody that old and you say, I don't want you to, I don't want you to have an operation. But, you know, I think the, these patients are, are still very active and, and to look them in the eye and say, you know, you have to give up what you want to do. It's, that's not a very palatable for the patient or, or, or me, where you as a surgeon to have to look somebody in the eye and tell them that. So. And tell me, uh, throughout your two years, you're up in Portland, you're yep. in practice up there. Uh, we're super excited to have you here. Uh, bring some of that expertise down here. Uh, all the great things they say about you, I'm sure they're going to miss you. What was your oldest hip replacement that you did in your oldest knee? Um, for both. So I did... Uh, you know, I, I get, it wasn't a total hip replacement. I did do a, a hemi, so a hip, a half hip replacement, 103. Uh, it was a hip All fracture. Right. So right. you, a little I thought I was going to get you, but you yeah. got me there. 103. I was, that was a hip fracture, so a different animal, but still. Um, and then my oldest knee, elective knee replacement was a 90-year-old. Right on. Yeah. yeah. My oldest knee was 94, mm-hmm. and my oldest uh, hip was 96, both okay. elective surgeries. The 94-year-old was out of Texas. She came back at 102 mm. to say thank you. She was visiting her family here in town. So age is a number. Sure. We, we believe that, right? Um, I'm 55, which is the new 30. <laughs> <laughs> certainly in my own brain, it's the new 30. I don't think this body thinks I'm 30, <laughs> but it's certainly in my brain it is. So age is a number. Our job is to keep these people going. Sure. Uh, that's what you and I are going to do together the next 20 years, and uh, hopefully you don't throw me out before them um, for being uh, I won't be on a walker but uh, that's what we're going to do these next 20 years and if there's one thing that would really be awesome in 20 years what would you like to remember about those 20 years um, you know I think uh, I want to know that uh, everything I did you know was was kind of the right thing for the patient and and that's you know we built something um, and you know when you have I haven't been in practice that long, so I don't have as many, you know, I don't have the 15-year-old hip coming in and saying I'm still doing awesome. That's what I want to see, you know, and that's just time. I don't, I've, you know, I've only been in practice 
a fraction of what you have been in. But um, even the you know a year later, my that first year, you know, I say, wow, these patients are actually doing really well. And, and you know, and you know, when you first start out, you're like, am I doing a good job? Am I am I helping these people or am I hurting them? And when they come back, even at a year, they just say, yeah, changed my life. I mean, those those words. That's the, those are the words I like to hear. Well, I can tell you, life. I can tell you came to the right place because we hear that every day. Yeah. Welcome to Curvetti Orthopedics, Thank Sandy. Thank you.